So, um, grab your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 5. It's a little bit shorter message. We knew that we had testimonies and a number of other things today. And we're stepping away from Hebrews because today is a special day where we celebrate people who have come into God's family and they want to go public with it. You know, God is all about bringing children into his family. God loves kids. Not only does God love little kids, God loves his own children, no matter what age they are, coming into his family. New life is spectacular, and it captures our attention. Now, I just got looking a little bit this week. I think you'll be fascinated with this, with the whole stats on new life. The Guinness Book of World Records explains the woman who gave birth to the most children. I don't know if you're ready for this, but you're going to get it anyways. Number one, her last name was not Conover. (laughs) And in a total of, this is amazing, in a total of 27 pregnancies. Yes. In a total of 27 pregnancies, the wife of Fyodor Vasilev a peasant from Shoya near Moscow, Russia, gave birth to a total of, are you sitting down, 69 children. Yes. She had 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. She never had a pregnancy with just one child. It's amazing. I found two other incredible birth stats. The lowest weight surviving newborn is Marion Chapman, born in England in 1938. She was 12 and a half inches long. She weighed a meager 10 ounces at birth. Isn't that amazing? And at 21 years old, she was 106 pounds. Isn't new life fascinating? And then I found the heaviest newborn in modern times was a boy born in Turkey in 1961 weighing in at, are you sitting down, 24 pounds and 4 ounces. So wives, we don't want to hear any more of your stories. There is someone that tops them all. I won't tell you what he weighed at his 21st birthday. But birth amazes us. New life amazes us. When we witness something that didn't physically exist nine months earlier, to all of a sudden they erupt into the world and they breathe and they have life right in front of us. It's just fascinating. It is awesome. And it's the same thing with God. It's the same thing with new life that comes from Jesus Christ. And here you're in 1 John 5, and 1 John is an intensely practical book. And what we cover today, it needs really very little interpretation. It actually needs more introspection. That's what 1 John's all about. It doesn't need us to say, boy, I wonder what he's talking about there. It needs really more of, I wonder what he says how it applies to my life. I wonder what I should do. I wonder what I should be because of what he says. That's what 1 John is all about. And so in 1 John 5, 
he goes through distinguishing traits of all believers, and he arrives at three traits that all believers should have through the entire book. And I'm calling them birthmarks, if you would. And in 1 John 5, he says believers have birthmarks. If you want to get a good understanding of what a genuine child of God should look like, inspect your life for these three birthmarks, and they are littered throughout the book of 1 John. So I'm going to give them to you. There are three birthmarks of all God's kids, and I'm going to give them to you right up front. Here's what they are. The three birthmarks are belief, obedience, and love. Belief, obedience, and love. And the good news is Jesus is behind them all. He's the object of our belief. He's the power behind our obedience, and he's the example for our love. He's all of it. And so on this special Baptism Sunday, let's just think about this together. These three birthmarks, instead of dissecting, boy, I wonder what all that means, let's just look inside and say, do I bear the birthmarks of new life in Jesus Christ? Belief, obedience, and love. Now let's look together at the first three verses of 1 John chapter 5, and here's how these read out for us. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So these three marks of a true believer in Jesus Christ the first mark is the mark of belief. The mark of belief. And here's the phrase in the text that goes right along with this, the very first one. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. They're born of God. If you believe that he's the Christ, you're born of of God. Now, I'm going to tell you that there is one repeated word in 1 John, and this is just a dynamic word, and it is the whole crux of 1 John. It's the word know or known. And John repeats the word know or known 38 times in this little five-chapter book. And the reason is he wants us to know that we are God's kids. He doesn't want us to speculate. He doesn't want us to wonder. He wants us to know for certain that we are God's children. And one of the primary ways that we understand we are God's kids is through this specific mark, the mark of belief. And I've couched it in this phrase, in this way of understanding. We identify the Son... We identify the Son, and here's what it is. Notice it mentions everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, most of the world would know that Jesus exists, but to identify him, 
in who he is. We identify him as the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who would come, the Son of God, who would be born of a virgin, who would die for the sin of the world. That is who we identify him as. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. He's the one to forgive me of my sin. We identify him as the Christ, as the Messiah. And then we also identify with the Son. So we identify the Son. We identify with the Son. I want to mention something that's not on the surface in this phrase. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This is, there's something unique in the, in the wording. There's a combination of two tenses of verbs in the original language. And there's a combination of the present tense and a combination of the perfect tense. And here's what that does for us. It mentions this. It states that belief is most likely... And I know that this may be complicated, but belief is most likely the consequence of the new birth. Think of it this way. When you were born, you didn't will yourself into birth, did you? You didn't say, hey, I'm going to, I think I'm going to be conceived. You know. And now I'm going to be born. Mm, you know, it had nothing really to do with us. Someone greater was behind it. And there's an inkling in the text with a combination of these words in, in these different tenses that says, you know what, you, you did not will yourself into new birth all on your own. Most likely, your belief had the hand of the sovereign God behind it. Just like our natural birth wasn't all on your own, our spiritual birth is not on our own either. That the God of the universe had something to do with it, and the text tips his hand in that direction. There is a God preactivity to our faith in him. God has something to do with turning on the switch of belief or faith in our life. There's no way to be in God's family without identifying with his son, Jesus Christ, without knowing who he is and what he did. And there's no way to be in God's family without identifying with him. It's not just an intellectual thing. We need to identify with Jesus Christ as well. And one has simply said it, and I love it. It's this, son of God became a man so that man could become a son of God. Isn't that a neat phrase? How? How do we become the sons of God? I'm going to put it plainly to you. Number one, we need to recognize that we are not God. We are incapable of self-recovery. We can't resolve our own sin problems on our own that have distanced us from God. 
And we need to recognize that the only way that that could ever be recovered, that we could ever be redeemed, that we could ever be brought back in a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. He resolved our sin problem eternally when he died on the cross as the sacrifice for our sin, period. He's not only the savior of the world, he's the savior of our lives. And he rose again for this eternal salvation. So a primary birthmark of children of God is that they believe that Jesus is the savior of their life. The mark of belief, number one. So are you with me? Okay, so it is the mark of belief is the number one birthmark. Here's the, here's the second one. The mark of obedience. The mark of obedience, number two. And here he mentions in verses two and three this special mark of identity, the mark of obedience. And he mentions certain phrases. Notice this. This is, this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Verse 3, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So the mark of obedience. So another way that we show that we genuinely are God's kids is through our lives, through our actions, and this is not a new concept either in the Bible or in this letter. I just want to give you some verses. Follow these. Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Here's some verses if you're taking notes right in 1 John. He says, 1 John 1, 6, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie. 1 John 2, 4 through 6, whoever says, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And then write this one down, 1 John 3.10. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Wow. Those are big words. Belief, the mark of belief, is not the finish line. It's the starting line. And it moves into the mark of obedience. Forget living an obedient life if we do not have the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And John doesn't beat around the bush in this letter. He just comes right now and he says, look, don't tell me that you're God's kid. Don't tell me that you have genuine belief if you don't have genuine life. Now, it's not easy. Obeying isn't easy. In fact, I'm going to tell you one thing. I took my whole crew. Everything happens at Cracker Barrel for my family. I don't know if you know that or not. I took him to Cracker Barrel the other day, and, um, and I pulled out, and there was a vehicle that came in front of me, and I'm not going to tell you the specifics, but it said on the side of the car, 
the name of a driving school. Big, huge letters, such and such driving school. And there was a guy in the front all by himself. And he was behind a big white vehicle. And the white vehicle had stopped at the stop sign and wasn't going quite yet. And I don't know why, but they weren't going quite yet. And then here's the guy in the driver's school car. And all of a sudden, he just laid on his horn. And then he got off and he's shaking his fist like that. And then finally the white car went. And then he pulled up and then he tailgated them all the way down the hill. And I thought, you know what? I've seen that a lot. Must be a lot of people go to his school. (laughs) Obeying is not easy. Because we know what we feel on the inside. We know what attitudes rise up within us. We know what words pop to the front of our tongue. We know our addictive behaviors and thoughts. We know the challenges when we go home with our spouse or our kids. Obeying is tough. I want to give you a couple things about obedience that arise out of the text. Number one, obedience or obeying God comes out of love for God. It comes out of love for God. That's verse 3. This is love for God to keep his commands. It's not to be duty. It's not to be something that we just push ourselves. I think I can. I think I can. It's to be something that comes from the heart. Something that's motivated by his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, and so therefore I love him. I also love this in verse 3. His commands are not burdensome. I I put it this way. Obeying God is not burdensome. It's burden lifting. Think about that. God doesn't set up his guidelines to cause problems, but to solve our problems. You know, all he asks of us is really for our good. These aren't useless commands. These are useful commands. And unlike all of the commands of the Old Testament times with the Pharisees that just loaded people up with burdens and issues and all of these minutiae, Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. My burden is light. I want to lift things from you. I want to give you things that help you. Obeying God isn't burdensome, it's burden lifting. And then here's the biggie. Obeying God is possible. It is possible because of Christ's power in our life. There's a reason why we go from belief to obedience. It's possible because of Christ's power in our life. He's writing to believers, and the person can overcome 
the world. Verse 4, it goes on. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's connected with our faith in Jesus Christ. God's continual work in the believer enables them to live for him. Without him, powerless. But God forgives. God empowers us to obey. Christ's death is our freedom from sin's clutches. He makes us new within. He gives us his word, his spirit, his people to help us in this journey of faithfulness to Jesus. How in the world do we obey? How do we obey? I want us to realize that what we were powerless to do without Jesus, we now can do with him. What Jesus did on the cross wasn't just for heaven, it was for here too. God's saving work is daily. There's a verse in Psalm 23 that our elders have been going through. It's, it says, lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I want you to think about that. Lead me in the paths of righteousness. Jesus, you're my shepherd. What's my next right step? Sometimes we look at our lives and say, man, there's so much. What's the next right step that I need to take? God, help me to tackle that. Get specific about that. Is it my speech? Is it an addiction? Is it an attitude? Is it the way that I treat my spouse or my kids or my coworkers? And then you pull in scripture to combat it just like Jesus. You get allies to help you, like friendships or small groups or others going in the same direction. Those are the things that we do to be obedient to God. First, there's a mark of belief. There's the mark of obedience. I'm gonna give you the third one. It's the mark of love this is the big mark the mark of love possibly you remember first corinthians 13 but now abides faith hope love remember this but the greatest of these is it's love And the writer says here in 1 John 5, everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. That's us. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This whole mark of love is all throughout 1 John. 1 John 2, 10 through 11, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 20, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Love. 
Love is the hardest thing you'll ever do. I'm going to tell you why. Because people can be unlovable. People can be really difficult. Church people, I know, the shock look. Church people can be unlovable sinners. And we even admit it. You know, the church is the only organization I know of besides hell's angels that you have to profess to be bad in order to get in. You know? We're all unlovable sinners. This word agape love, I just want to take it out of the mysterious and bring it into the practical like John wanted. It is a practical and active word. If we are not doing, we are not loving. Jesus loved, and he did. Right? For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his one and only son. Agape is practical and it's active. Now I'm going to tell you something I've been telling myself for a long time. A couple thoughts about love because our love must be for each other. And if you're online, you're not exempt from this as well. This is all of us. We're all in. Because oftentimes people come to church, myself included, with this idea of being getters. Man, I hope the preaching is good. Hope I get something. Hope they play my songs. Which, thanks, guys, you played my songs today. Hope the seats are comfy. I hope the coffee's good. And there's so much of this getting mentality. But Jesus flipped the, the, the whole script when it came to church, when it came to love, because he says, you know what? Love one another. This is the place to be a giver. To love on your siblings, to meet a need, to connect for a meal, to pray with someone else. You know, if you're a getter, if you are a getter, I cannot guarantee that you'll get everything the way that you want. But if you're a giver, your chance of success is very, very high. If you've come to love, that can happen. If you've come to love like Jesus, that can happen. And it's a mark of a believer that we believe 
that we obey and that we love. Now you'll have to forgive me because one of my favorite stories goes in line with this. Sam was a special needs boy that wasn't accepted in his third grade class. In fact, he would come home and tell his mom that he oftentimes had no one talk to him or if they did, they made fun of him and Valentine's Day came along the teacher wanted everyone to make a box to receive valentines in and then the teacher said and make whatever valentines for your friends and so mom and sam got together and they quickly made his box and then they started making valentines and sam was just so on it and and his biggest fear was he would forget someone he's trying to go through all the names in his head of all of his friends in his class and he was so worried And then finally, the day came and he went into school with his box and with his valentines, hoping and hoping that he didn't forget anyone. And mom sent him into school and she was waiting for him to exit the bus at the end of the day. And all of a sudden she noticed, here comes the bus, and he flew off the bus and came running into the house. And he's like, mom, you'll never believe it. And she looked in his box, and it was empty. Heartbroken, she couldn't imagine what would be so exciting for him. And then Sam replied, you'll never believe it, Mom. I'm so happy. I didn't forget anyone. He was a giver. Can I encourage us this morning to push back against the current of COVID? Because the mask and the internet is keeping us from the thing we need the most. And it's called love. And it's the thing that God has called us to be distinctive. The thing that sets us apart as believers by this, everyone will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And the reality is you can get church online. But will the church get you? You can come in and sit down and get up and get out, but will the church get you? That's what love is all about. Amen? That's what it is. And that is a hallmark of believers. That's a birthmark of believers. So how do I love? You love like Jesus. When he said love one another, he said, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. Jesus is love. The cross speaks love. He lived life with his disciples. He was never tempted to focus on self. He focused on others. 
And here's a practical one. You can't love without someone to love on. You realize that? You have to have someone to love on. Pick someone. Pick somebody. And if they don't like it, tough. Connect, pray, know their needs. Make it your aim for them to be a better follower of Jesus by your relationship with them. And then here's what's in my heart. Be a culture builder. Build a culture of love that God's church is to be known for. It started with Jesus. He loved us. He showed it on the cross by securing our salvation. It continues with us. It is to be a network that builds a culture of love within our assembly of people. It's not good enough that we're a friendly church. It's not good enough that we are a loving church. We must love people where everyone is practically and tangibly loved. Francis Schaeffer, one of the most brilliant philosophers of modern-day history, is quoted as saying, love is the ultimate apologetic for the Christian. God's family needs your love. There's three birthmarks that John talks about. Belief. It's belief in Jesus. It's obedience. Only fueled by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and love. Modeled by Jesus. It didn't start with us. It started with Jesus at the cross. But we keep it going as his followers. And our world that is desperate for it, we'll see it in action right here. Would you stand with me? And there's no better story of love, and there's no better inspiration of love, there's no better power of love than that of Jesus Christ and his display of love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Do you believe that? That's the first mark of a believer. That's the starting line. And then we obey. And then we love. I hope to see you today at 2 o'clock. Clear skies. 70 degrees, and we get to celebrate these people that go public with their faith. Let's pray together. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for your word, a very practical lamp for our feet, light unto our path. May we hide it in our hearts. May we do it so that we might not sin against you. Use us today Use us. Don't let us get out of here without being 
the people you want us to be and displaying the birthmarks of believers to those around. Develop the culture here that you want us to be to fight the current of COVID. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. God bless your day. See you out there in the foyer or outside.